You're listening to The Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeusof.com. In this week's episode, we'll be looking at how to make free phone calls, Google Drive security, the benefits of using Google Opinion Rewards, choosing between Linux and Windows, and much more besides. My name is Christian Corley, and for the rest of the episode, I'll be bringing you tips and tricks from myself and my colleagues, Ben Stegner and Gavin Phillips. A look at the essential tips that you need to secure your Google Drive. You may not have considered this, but it, you know, with the amount of data that is synced to Google Drive, it does need to be kept secure. Uh, all sorts of information gets stored there from Google Photos to things that's shared with you through Gmail, uh, even uh, backups for your phone or tablet, and then the general documents that you use, that you create maybe in Google Docs, and just anything else that you sync with the Drive. Uh, ben, you've uh, compiled a list of seven essential tips to secure Google Drive. I have, and they are uh, some tips we can go over right here. So the first one is in general to just secure your Google account. Uh, you probably know that if you have a Google Drive account, it's under the same Google account you use for Gmail, YouTube, all that stuff. Um, and a secure Google account protects your Drive account. If your password is weak and somebody gets in, they can look at all the files in your Google Drive. So it's important to make sure you have that basic account security locked up. Um, some of the other really important tips about keeping your Google Drive private and safe is that you should be careful with the files that you share. Um, sharing is handy because it's really easy to just share a link with people and let them edit a file compared to trying to send an Excel file or whatever. But uh, when you share a file on Google Drive, it really increases the amount of people that can access it. So you have to think about what you're doing carefully. So in general, if you can, if you can, you should share with specific people instead of just changing it to anybody with the link, because the chance of someone coming across the link isn't super high since it's long. They're not going to guess it, but um, when you share it with people, those people could share the link with other people that you don't trust, and then you open it up to more people seeing it than you thought. Um, you can also set it to that people with the link can only view or comment, so they can look at the file, but they can't make changes. There's also a setting to prevent other editors from changing permissions, which you should definitely do in almost all cases. So even if you trust someone to edit the document, they can't change the permission to something else or share it with someone else to edit. And while there's no there's no default way to see all the files you've shared in Drive, uh, there's a third-party site called Who Has Access that will scan your Google Drive and tell you all the files that you've shared. So you can easily look at it and say, oh, you know, Billy shouldn't have access to this folder anymore, that kind of thing. So it's a good idea to look through what you've shared regularly to make sure that, um, you know, someone you don't even work with anymore doesn't still have access to your files or you didn't share something by accident with someone, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. A couple other smaller tips. So you can actually link drive, uh, apps to Google Drive, rather, if you didn't know about that. Um, usually you do this to store like backed up data or synced data in Drive directly. Um, so there's a menu that lets you see where those apps, uh, what those apps are, and you should remove any that you don't use or don't trust anymore. Um, kind of like browser extensions, some of those might be dead. And the last couple tips are a reminder about cloud storage in general. Remember that even though Google Drive encrypts the files when it's transferring them and it encrypts them on its service, Google could still open up any of those files if they had to or some or 
if someone broke into it and knew what they were doing, potential that they could decrypt the files. So for anything that you want extra protection on, you should encrypt the file before you upload it so that even if someone broke in, they would need your encryption key to get it. And remember that nothing you upload to somebody else's server is ever going to be 100% secure. So if it's something extremely sensitive, probably best to not store it in cloud storage. Absolutely. Great tip. I've uh, had a bit of trouble with my Google Drive recently. It uh, has been getting full and I've been baffled as to why this is because I stopped syncing my photos to it. Turns out one of my phones had decided to restart syncing photos to it. Plus a lot of uh, shared uh, press release data, information, videos, photos for my uh, retro gaming site, gamingretro.co.uk. Uh, was also beefing things up a bit. So I had to go through it. I had it, I, I was over the 15 gigabyte limit, basically. I managed to get one and a half gigabytes cut out of it just by removing files that were shared with me. It's amazing how that stuff uh, really builds up quickly. I mean, I, when I moved computers just, just recently, my OneDrive is almost full, my Dropbox is almost full, and my drive is getting full too. Um, one of the things I noticed that is that one of the problems is if you sync, so most of these services, you can set it up to automatically sync and or back up your like desktop pictures and documents folders. Uh -huh. So if you don't think about it, you know, you download some massive installer or whatever, like an ISO file, and then you have a three gigabyte CD image just sitting in your downloads folder and you forget that it's, it's synced to your Google drive. And it's like, Oh, I don't have any storage anymore. What's going on. And then you realize that's what it is. So yeah. it's easy to like think, Oh, I'll just back it all up. And then you, you run out of space pretty quick. I have a few extra gigabytes on every service just cause I'm grandfathered into like more generous plans from the past. And even then I, uh, I run out pretty quickly. <laughs> We're obviously making uh, a podcast here in two completely different parts of the world. I'm in the UK. Ben is in the United States. And previously, we've used Skype uh, to record these shows. More recently, we've upgraded uh, our hardware and the software that we're using. But we were essentially using a service that enables you to make free phone calls. Now, Skype isn't the only thing that will let you do that. And uh, Make Yourself Stand Prices compiled a list of the best free phone number apps that give you a US number to call America and Canada for free from anywhere in the world. This is basically giving you uh, domestic landline calls uh, or international landline calls that have a free phone number attached rather than uh, using Skype. Because if you want to use a phone number with Skype, you've got to pay for it. And these are free. So... I'm going to go through them quickly. And so if you need to make that type of call within US and Canada or whatever, using your computer rather than a phone or even using a phone using Wi-Fi or mobile internet, these are what you need to use. So you've got Talkatone, which calls itself the best free calling app. Uh, TextNow, Freetone, also known as TextMeUp, also known as TextMe. TextPlus and Dingtone which is an app with some unique features, but a, uh, <laughs> a really dodgy user interface back in the day, but they've improved it over the past few years, and uh, now it looks a bit better. Um, so these free calling apps give you a free number or let you make free calls to the US and Canada. And, you know, they're not so good. And they're, they're, there's um, 
different apps which will let you call say um countries in sorry india pakistan those sort of those countries in the uh, east or even china or even places in africa there's dedicated apps to different parts of the world basically but uh if you want to call american canada for free from anywhere in the world whether you know someone there or you just want them to make a prank prank phone call on uh, april Fool's day um these are the tools to use prank phone call tips next week <laughs> <laughs> Gene, I, I, um, this is, uh, you know, there's a thing called Fesshole on the internet, isn't there, on uh, Twitter, and I, it, you get some amusing things in there. I think maybe one day I need to uh, put a confession on there about a prank phone call I once made, which was uh, utterly pointless, um, and followed a football match, an international football match. I will say no more because uh, it is embarrassing and I wish I hadn't done it. And, th- th- you know, there's nothing offensive about it, which is ridiculously stupid and, oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, maybe maybe the prank phone calls on the Really Useful podcast is uh, not a good idea. So, no, we won't have those tips next week. Unless you want them. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't think I have too many. I probably haven't made a prank phone call in forever, so since I was, like, 15. So <laughs> I don't think I'd have too much advice to share. It's not a. It's not a good thing. It's not a. It's it's not a good way to use a phone. The thing is, I don't know what it was like in the United States at the time, but here in the UK, when I was a kid growing up, not every not every house had a phone. And so, my, like my gram, she uh, didn't have a phone in her house until the late nineteen nineties, for example. Um, when I was say five, six, seven, not every house on my road had a telephone, and some people would come to your house to use the phone. Some people would ring your house. To speak to the person next door because the person next door oh, didn't wow. have a phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't recall anything like that. Um, I when I was young and growing up, I feel like most people I knew had a home phone. Um, and now, like, I mean, like, I'm sure, like anywhere, almost now, it's like having a home phone is dated, and like, why would you need a home phone when you have a cell phone kind yeah, of thing? But I exactly. want to say when I was when I was little, I I remember pretty much all my friends and family members and people whose houses I was in had a phone. I don't, I can't recall ever anything like that where you would call someone to talk to the next door neighbor. I've been trying to get rid of our house phone for a few years now because it's utterly pointless. And all, oh, all yeah, that I happens think is we thing. just get spam and robocalls on it and it's a real pain. Some people I know still have their home phone because they're like grandfathered into a bundle with their internet service provider where like it's cheaper to have the bundle with a home phone internet and tv than it is to like get rid of it you know stuff like that where yeah like they're locked into a price from 10 15 years ago or whatever but yeah most people i know don't have one anymore because i mean unless you live in an area with zero cell phone service and even then you can have wi-fi calling you know i i've never felt the need to have a home phone who needs one who needs one okay Eight reasons to switch from Linux to Windows. Ha ha. Uh-huh. Well, now, ah uh, ha. Now I'm using Linux, and I have been using Linux on and off for many years. I now use it permanently. What we're going to go with this because it's it's kind of uh, it doesn't work out for everyone. I need to be honest about this. I, it, you know, it's uh, it's it's a realization for me. It's it's you know, it's it's not new information, but it's something that I need to come to terms with. That Linux isn't perfect for everyone. I tried to uh, put my mother-in-law on Linux once, and uh, I didn't try to run it on her. Uh, I tried to install it on her computer, <laughs> and uh, well, I did install it on her computer, and she was all right with it actually, to be honest with you, until it came to the point where she wanted to run 
a CD-ROM of, I'm going to say knitting patterns. It wasn't knitting patterns, but it was some sort of creative endeavor that she wanted to uh, commence with, and it, it wasn't working. Now, there was probably a workaround, which, but I was too... Uh, I wasn't uh, focused at, on the job at hand to work out what the workaround was. So mm. I just reinstalled Windows on the machine. But, uh, yeah, it, Linux doesn't work out for everyone. We're going to go through a, a brief list of why this might be. Uh, number one, almost all of the best apps support Windows. I mean, there's a debate in this topic itself. But generally speaking, majority of apps support Windows only. Then they'll support Mac OS. And then down the line, they'll support Linux as a sort of afterthought. Now, that's not strictly speaking the case these days. But certainly, I mean, we, we've used the word best apps there. I would probably say biggest apps is the case. Microsoft Office is probably the most famous example of that alongside with the Adobe Creative Suite. Uh, but there are workarounds such as using software called Wine, which allows you to run Windows software in Linux. Gaming is better supported on Windows uh, but of course we've already been talking about the Steam Deck which runs a lot of games that uh, are for Windows and it's a Linux operating system so whilst it remains the case that gaming is better supported on Windows it is also increasingly the case that that is changing. Number three Windows reigns supreme as a desktop operating system globally well yes because of things like you know, bulk deals for organizations and corporations and uh, government departments, educational facilities, and uh, that's part of the Microsoft magic of marketing. That's nice alliteration, wasn't it? You can run Linux on Windows within the Windows subsystem, which might save you the job of installing Linux if you don't really need to use it full-time, which is kind of useful. Uh, minor issues, you don't like troubleshooting them. Uh, this is uh, question number one because Windows has minor issues as well as does any operating system, or phone even. Uh, choosing a Linux distro can be a difficult choice to make. Yes, it can. It could take you years. Number seven, with just one operating system, Microsoft offers better support. Uh, not 100% struck down by this one either because, I mean, any operating system worth its salt is going to be offering good support. And, you know, there's been issues with Windows for years that haven't been uh, picked up, strange conflicts and things in Windows 10 that, look like they're not going to be dealt with now the windows 11 is along and number eight you have a nostalgic attachment to windows this is fair enough if you're keen on it you're keen on it aren't you anything to add gavin the things i would add <laughs> is that i also don't agree <laughs> with some of the things on this list uh in that a reason to switch from linux to windows being that windows reigns supreme I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily a valid point. I think it rains, doesn't it? But I don't, I'm not sure supreme is the right word. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the most popular operating system in the world. But is that a reason to switch from Linux to Windows, which is what the article is saying? I personally wouldn't um, wouldn't say so. Uh, I'm only an occasional Linux dabbler. So some of the other things did speak to me a bit more. Troubleshooting, minor issues... Uh, on Linux, as uh, so as as a long-term Microsoft Windows user, finding uh, small issues on Linux more difficult to deal with uh, is an issue for me. It requires a bit more googling and a bit more of a workaround to get some stuff figured out. 
but then that's also part of the process of using and uh, switching to Linux if that's what you're doing. Uh, and it's part of the education process that you kind of go through, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There was um, an item in this list that I had nixed, uh, which was about hardware, and that um, hardware is better supported in Windows was the idea. I haven't found a single piece of hardware that I own that I cannot use with Linux. There was a time when the device I'm recording this through wouldn't, I say wouldn't, appeared to not work with Linux. Um, but I didn't actually try it out properly. I basically ran a, uh, a check. I'm going to do it now, actually. Uh, there's a command in Linux which lets you list USB devices that are connected in the command line. And uh, just grab my keyboard. So if I just run this now, because I didn't try it out properly, I just ran this command to see if it was detected. And it doesn't appear to be detected still. And yet, here we are talking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so um, that, that came as a bit of a surprise when I accidentally discovered that it worked a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I mean, but this is a conversation piece, this article, really. So, I mean, if you have anything to add to that, do get in touch with us and uh, let us know. Comment on Facebook when you see this uh, podcast link there or uh, drop us a message on uh, Twitter. You will find our individual Twitter handles in the show notes. <laughs> I have an app on my phone which is called Google Opinion Rewards and what it does is it lets me earn money by answering surveys and that money then gets added into my Google Play credit. Uh, I use an Android phone. If you have this on iPhone, we have uh, my wife has it and uh, you can get it but it will only pay into uh, PayPal. It won't pay it anywhere else. There's no point putting it into Google Play if you're not using Google Play and there's no facility to get into uh, uh, into into your Apple, so um, it goes into uh, PayPal for her. Um, now, I've been using this for a few years now, and obviously there are a few privacy concerns around this because it means that Google knows where you've been shopping, and sometimes they ask for a copy of your receipt and things like that, which, you know, that's entirely optional. You don't have to do it, and indeed you don't have to engage with Google Opinion Rewards, but it's a useful way to make money, and it's, um, you know, you could, uh, after a few months, you've got enough money to buy a movie to add to your uh, Google Play library, for example. Uh, you've used this in the past, haven't you, Ben? Yeah, I definitely have. Uh, as I've talked about on the show before, I've used an iPhone for about two years now, a little bit over that. But yeah, I, I've used Google Opinion Rewards for a long time. And it is great. Um, I haven't used it as much on my iPhone just because you don't get surveys as often and they're not as you don't get as much money, I guess, but, um, yeah, it's a great app. It's nice to just, the surveys aren't crazy. Um, uh, I know like some survey apps I've used, it's like they take 20 minutes and it's just not worth oh, it. Oh no, you can do, you can clear these in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. A minute or two. And some of them are just like fun too. It's not like those surveys where they ask you like every possible permutation of a question. Um, it's just kind of a quick little four question thing. And then you get 50 cents or a dollar or whatever. And I agree. It's nice to just have that little bit of spending money if you will for like upgrading an app or just running a movie it's nice to be able to do that and not feel like you're paying for it especially when it's those little purchases that you you're like i don't really want to upgrade the app even if you use it it's nice to just say oh it's only four dollars i have four dollars from this so yeah i definitely recommend that it's a little bit of free money here and there and it's not too much of your time I'm going to uh, give you a, a brief overview of what it involves basically you need to have uh, location services enabled for the app uh, once you've done that you need to ensure that it gets updated and then 
you notice the notifications. So ensure that you don't disable notifications or anything like that. It will alert you when there are surveys available. When a survey is available, it'll typically ask you something like, which of these places have you visited recently? Or which of these stores have you visited recently? It'll ask you what the date of the visit was. And then it may ask you something like, um, how much you spent there or did you buy something? And then you give you a choice of, I entered, but I didn't buy anything. I bought on credit card, I bought on debit card, or I ordered online, something like that. And then you will get the opportunity if you want to, to provide a copy of the receipt. I'm not sure there's any difference between providing a receipt and not in terms of how much it pays you. So I don't think so either. I, I always used to say I don't have my receipt or I don't want to give it because I either, you know, it was like yeah. something like a, a bottle of soda I didn't want to give it for or I just sure. don't want to give it for privacy. I've uh, recently tried it every other time it comes up and it appears to be paying about the same. So I, um, I'm pretty sure it's the same. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to be sort of like uh, sworn on that. But I'm pretty sure it is. But that's not the only sort of um, surveys it asks you. It might ask you um, something like, uh, "Watch this video," and then it will ask you what you think of it, and then it will pay you for that. Again, um, I mean, you basically the time that takes is to read, press play for a video that's usually a minute, maybe two minutes at the most, and then you tell it tell the app what you thought of the video um you can also use it to help improve video recommendations that you are recommended on youtube you're getting paid to improve your own recommendations so that's good as well and uh, it's also important to ensure that your rewards don't run out because they only last for 12 months so you need to make sure that you are spending them there are five things you can spend them on you can spend them on education app subscriptions Oh, these are things that I've done over the past few months. I bought a movie as well, stumped up for half a dozen games, upgraded an app from Mad Support to Premium, and bought several songs and albums. Basically, if it's available through Google Play, a Google Play Store, then you can buy it using Opinion Rewards uh, cash. Now, there is one way that you can ensure that you get lots of surveys with this app, and that is to go places. You might go shopping, you might go out in the countryside, you might visit um, locations that are, you know, um, landmarks, um, well-known landmarks, places that you want to tell people about, all those sorts of places. If it knows you're out and about and it detects you're out and about because you've activated location services, then you are far more likely to get questions. And if you're getting questions, survey questions, you have the opportunity to add to your Google Play credit balance. Yeah, and if you're going anyway, you know, if you're the kind of person who enjoys um, leaving reviews on Google Maps and that kind of thing. If you're going to leave it anyway, this might ask you to kind of provide the same information. So instead of doing it for free, but you know, you know, when you do that, you're helping other people, but still instead of doing it for free and just helping Google out, you're at least getting a few cents or dollars for your time with this. Yeah. I just checked on my iPhone and I do not have any surveys available, but I also, it might be because location services for Google isn't as pervasive on iPhone as it is on Android. Um, but I definitely haven't seen a survey from them in quite a while. I also use the survey monkey rewards survey, which is okay. But some of those are also like really long and they, they don't give you very much. So I do yeah. those occasionally, yeah, yeah. but sometimes I just, I'm not in the mood. So, um, all the, Everything I've just described there about uh, Google Opinion Rewards, you can go into in more depth in the article that you'll find linked in the show notes. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Really Useful Podcast. We'll be back again next week with more of the latest tech news, some tips and tricks, 
and our recommendations. Until then, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share anything useful that you've found in our podcast with your friends and family. And we'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye.